our scripture today. We have two scripture readings. One comes from Luke and one comes from the book of Acts. So first coming from Luke chapter 4. It says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then coming from Acts chapter 4, it says, Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This month we are diving into a new series called Rethinking Homelessness. We're going to learn together about our misconceptions regarding homelessness and how we as people of God can actually help and get involved. We're going to read scripture that talks about the proper response to poverty and hunger and homelessness and injustice. So what did Jesus have to say about it? What did the early church look like and how did they model service for us? And if you really want to get involved, you can purchase um, one of these books. Do I have the clicker up here? I don't know if I do. I don't. That's okay. Can you click it for me? <laughs> Thank you. Um, if you really want to get involved, you can purchase one of these books on Amazon. Uh, I'm not going to make you read. I'm not forcing you to do homework. But it is good recommended reading. I have these books, and they're wonderful books. Um, the first one is This Toxic Charity. It's by Robert D. Lupton. And then the next one, if you'll put that one on there, is When Helping Hurts. It's by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. Um, both of those books offer a lot of wisdom and advice on how the church has participated in toxic charity over the years. Poverty and homelessness, but often uh, we have made things worse. And so it talks about how we as the church can follow the ways of Jesus and how we can really contribute to make the, making the world a better place. And in addition to all of this learning that we're going to do together this month, we have several opportunities for you to put your faith into action, put what you learn into action. Yesterday, we just did our November Soup for the Soul that Mike talked about. We served in our community. We formed relationships with people who might be experiencing poverty or homelessness. Um, and then another opportunity you have, is you'll see in the narthex, there are paper bags that we do every year for bag day. Um, you can take one as you leave, and on there it says the donations that you can collect and put in those bags. And then if you bring it back next Sunday and lay them at the altar up here, um, we are, we're going to pray over them, and then all those donations are going to go to community enablers. So that's a way that you can get involved. And then lastly, this is a really hands-on way that you can get involved this week. 
Um, this Thursday, we're going to have a service day at the right place in Anniston. Um, and we're going to serve at, uh, they have something called the safe place at the right place. This is their drop-in center where people can come in off of the streets for, to have a safe place. They don't have to present an ID. They don't have to sign in. So anybody can come. Um, not only do they just get into a safe place, but there's things that help them like um, computers, if they need to fill out any forms or applications or get in contact with people. There's a library there where they can read. There's TVs, like a living room, um, and opportunities for them to eat, uh, get some food, get some water, and then just have good interactions, make friendships, right? We all need human interaction and, and relationships. And so this Thursday, you have the opportunity to come serve. It's nothing big. It's only in 45-minute sessions. They can only take um, five people at a time, and so we don't want to overload them. But we have time frames that you can sign up for that are about 45 minutes. And if you're interested in doing that, it's really just to come and form relationships and get to know people, um, talk with them, uh, get some joy for yourself, give some joy to other people who may need it. So if you're interested in that, you can see me after the service. I'll be out in the narthex, and we have a sign-up sheet so you can look at the time slots, and you can sign up. I'll be there the whole time, and I would love to see you there. Um, so see me after the service, and that's a good way for you to get involved. So this month is all about educating ourselves and growing in our knowledge of this issue and then taking what we learn and putting it to use to be a stronger disciple of Jesus Christ, to be his hands and feet, to truly practice our faith. And so first today, I want us to start by naming some misconceptions that many people have about homelessness. I talked to one of my friends this week who works um, with the homeless, and we talked about these three things. So the first misconception about homelessness is that all homeless people are either mentally ill or on drugs. And statistics tell us that that is just not true. Really only about 20 to 40% of the homeless population struggles with substance abuse. And most often when they do, it's a response to living on the streets. Addiction isn't what put them there. They might form an addiction because of the situation that they're in, um, the difficulties, the hopelessness that they have experienced living on the streets. But when we assume that all people who are homeless just spend their money on drugs and alcohol, it really can affect the way that we view them. Some people are going to say, well, I'm not going to give that person a $10 bill because they're just going to spend it on drugs. But really, that's probably not true. Most people spend their money on basic hygiene products. And second of all, if they do spend their money on that, it is not really our business because God calls us to be generous and caring and help those in need and not ask questions. The Lord asks you to give, we give. All right, the second misconception about homelessness is that bad choices led to their homelessness. Um, again, this is a negative assumption because if you believe that, then you're going to start to view people experiencing homelessness as no good, toxic, lazy, problem makers, and that's just not accurate. Most times, homelessness is caused by some control. They lost their home due to a fire or not being able to afford it, and they got kicked out of their home or they had to flee from an abusive relationship, or they lost their job, but they have no family or support system to help them get back on their feet. And when we start to recognize this, we come to a realization that homelessness can happen to anyone. 
can happen to all of us, even us. And the economy right now, I think we can all agree that most of us are only a couple paychecks away from losing our home if we did not have the support system in our life to help us. And then the third misconception is that they just need to get a job. Um, This mindset leaves no room for compassion or empathy. It writes people off as lazy or entitled or even evil. Homelessness is never as simple as just getting a job. If you're homeless, you may not have access to a shower. You might not have access to clean clothes or an ID or social security card. And have you ever tried to pass a job interview without those things? It is really difficult. Jobs also ask you a lot of the times if you have um, reliable transportation. And if you don't, then that's going to make it hard for you to keep a job or to even get one in the first place. So we all have our misconceptions about people experiencing homelessness. And those mindsets affect the way that we think about people, interact with people, and love people. And then we also have misunderstandings about how to help people who are homeless. So I have uh, three, thank you, I have three um, examples. The most common ways that people and churches often try to help are through these three things. Charity, um, that's simply by giving money or giving donations. Two is short-term mission trips. And three is by evangelism. Now, evangelism is not a bad thing. But what I mean by this is it's offering another person spiritual salvation, but not meeting their physical needs. Okay, so these are three common ways people try to help the homeless and their misunderstandings. And we're going to learn this month that it takes a lot more than that. And sometimes these things can even make the situation worse. So here are some good examples I found on Justice Unbound of when churches and organizations try to help, but it actually causes more harm, all right? For example, a church provides a warm dinner to homeless guests. Those serving the meal stand behind a counter and nervously put food onto plates, not knowing what to say. Church volunteers talk to one another while their guests socialize among themselves. All right? A homeless shelter requires each person using its services to attend worship in exchange for a bed for the night. Sermons often focus on sinfulness and assume that homelessness is a result of that sin. A third one is a woman who has experienced chronic homelessness has a repertoire of personal testimonies, none of which are fully true, because she knows that she will receive preferential treatment from many service providers if she can prove to them that she's a Christian. Sure, these examples might come from a place of good intentions. The people might be wanting to offer help, resources. But if you look a little deeper, you'll notice that there's a lot of distance between the church and the homeless that are coming for the services. And the first example, sure, they hand out food, but the church people stay in their circles, leaving the homeless guests to talk in their own circles. So yeah, it's meeting an immediate need, but it isn't forming any kind of friendships. It isn't widening circles. It isn't offering Christ-like love. There remains distance between us and them. In the second example, the organization is putting conditions on the help that they offer. They're expecting something in return, and they're using religion or faith to demonize them. 
This does nothing to form any kind of trust or relationship of love. And then the third example is something similar. And, you know, I've actually seen something similar to that third example in my personal life. When I lived in Atlanta, I came across a lot of people experiencing homelessness. And one time there was a woman who was camping out at the gas station right across the street from my apartment. And when she approached me, she immediately started with this. This is what she said before I said anything. First off, she said, I'm not addicted to drugs, so I don't need money for that. I'm not lazy. I just got out of a really bad situation with my husband, and I've been praying to God for help. I love God. I believe in him. And I'm diabetic, so my blood sugar is just really low. I don't need any money. I just need something to eat from inside. And then she took a breath. And I was taken aback because she felt like she had to explain herself to me. Surely it was because people in the past had judged her and assumed that she was a drug addict or that she was going to take people's money. And now she felt like she had to explain herself as worthy of help. No one should ever have to do that. But because of the way many people treat the homeless, they have been conditioned to think that some people are worthy of love and some people are not. These examples remind us that there is often an underlying us versus them dynamic. Justice Unbound says, we have, they receive. We fix, they are broken. We know what's right, they need to learn. So you see the problem here. Our interactions with people experiencing homelessness are plagued with hierarchy, with pride, and unequal relationships. Do you remember the song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sang when she figured out she was pregnant? She's saying these words. She says, God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled good things and sent the rich away empty. And this implies an equaling, a leveling of a playing field for people. If the rich and powerful are brought down and the poor and hungry are brought up, they are now in an equal position. And they can have healthy relationships of dignity and trust. See that? It's an equal. So my question is, when it comes to homelessness, what is the task of the church? What is the task of the church? We know how we shouldn't behave, things we shouldn't do. So what are we called to do? What is the task of the church? In the book, One Help, books I recommended for you, the author says the task of the church is to embody Jesus Christ by doing what he did and where Jesus did it, among the blind, the lame, the sick, and the outcast, and the poor. He says it's to proclaim Jesus as Lord who ushers in a kingdom of righteousness, justice, and peace. So simply put, the church is called to do what Jesus did where he did it. We're called to do what Jesus did where he did it. And Jesus described his ministry or his calling when he read from the prophet Isaiah. And if the church is to embody Jesus and do what he did, we also should be doing these things, right? To bring good news to the poor, Jesus said. Jesus said, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you know, I think a lot of the times the church isn't the best at bringing good news. We have enough bad news in the world, right? 
You turn on the TV, you look on social media, you read Facebook comments, and it's all bad news. As Christians, we need to be bringing a message of hope and light and goodness. That's what the word gospel means. Did you know that? The word gospel means good news. We are to bring good news. But often the church just adds bad news to the world. How often have you heard sermons focused more on hell and damnation rather than on the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Anybody? Those sermons aren't good news. They're bad news trying to scare people into salvation. How often do you see Christians talking about what they're against instead of what they're for? The things they hate rather than what they love. We are called to be good news people. Jesus said he came to bring good news to the poor. So what is good news to the poor? Well, we know it's not bad news. Which means it doesn't look like us saying, you're lazy and that's why you're poor and homeless. That's not good news, that's mean. It doesn't look like us saying, the reason you're poor and homeless is because you must have sinned and that really upset God. This is punishment for you. That's not good news. And it also doesn't look like us saying, I know you're struggling right now, but one day when you get to heaven, it'll all be better. On the surface, right? But it's not good news for the poor right here and right now on earth. God doesn't just care about eternity. He cares about that. But God also cares about bringing heaven to earth. Right? That's what we pray every week. We ask God to bring heaven to earth. So good news for the poor is Jesus' freedom from and conquering of oppression right here on earth. Because Jesus cares. Jesus cares about their suffering. Good news for the poor looks like us following people hands on. And it looks like us following God's multitude of commandments to care for the poor in tangible, self-sacrificial ways. Jesus also proclaimed that he was called to set free the oppressed. And I know we're supposed to embody Jesus and do what he did, where he did it. But the truth is, it's real hard to set every person free that is oppressed in our world. Because there is a lot of oppression and there's a lot of injustice. Start small. If we can start local, start with people that we are in contact with every day. Form relationships of love. Bring good news instead of bad. That's a pretty good start. In the book, When Helping Hurts, the author says, personal piety and formal worship are essential to the Christian life, but they must lead to lives that act justly and love mercy. In other words, if you're simply coming to church on Sunday mornings and nothing else, then you are doing nothing to contribute to setting the oppressed free. Our sermons and our Bible studies and our worship and Christian fellowship should lead us out into the world. Not just stay here in these four walls. And then Jesus says he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. Now when he said this, it was most likely referring to the year of Jubilee that the Israel people practiced. And I think I've talked to you all about this before. It was a year set aside for economic justice. So in this year that the Israel people practiced, people's debts were to be completely forgiven. 
land was to be given back to their original owners. So if they had become poor and could no longer afford their home or their land, it was given back to them for free. Slaves were freed, and you were not supposed to harvest or sell any crops, but share with people. So for Jesus to proclaim that his ministry was the year of the Lord's favor, spoke to what he was going to do. He was going to bring freedom for the poor, care for the hungry and the homeless, restore them back to society, give them a community of love. And if we are to be like Jesus and also proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, this means that we are to also participate in things that bring freedom and restoration to the poor and the homeless. If somebody asks you for money, you give generously without expecting anything in return because that is what the year of the Lord's favor is about. If you are privileged to live with wealth, you are to not be stingy or unforgiving or unfair with your finances. In Leviticus, when God talked about the Jubilee year or the year of the Lord's favor, he commanded people, do not take advantage of each other. Do not take any interest or profit from them and do not rule over them ruthlessly. These are all things that we can be intentional about following in our relationships with people who experience poverty or homelessness. We can all do those things. So this is the task that Jesus gives us. Bring good news to the poor, set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then we also see the task of the church described in Acts 4 when the church was first being formed. We read that today. Remember, it says, No one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. And then it says, There was not a needy person among them, for they would own lands or houses sold to them, and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it for anyone who was in need. There was not a needy person among them. That wasn't because people didn't have needs that needed to be met. It didn't mean people experienced no struggles. It means that when people did have the church surrounded them with support and met those needs. And because of this, there was not one needy person. Not one. God said something similar in Deuteronomy when he told the Israelites, there will be no one in need among you. You see, God's plan for the world, God's hope for the world, is the eradication of poverty. Put band-aids on problems. God doesn't want us to participate in short-term, temporary care. God wants us to be a part of systems that eradicate poverty altogether so that eventually there is not one homeless person among us. There is no one in need among you. That's what the Jubilee year was all about. Not a band-aid, but resetting the society so that all poverty, all needs were eliminated. And that's what the early church was about, right? Finding solutions for neediness. And the solutions that the early church and Acts found were characterized by deep, impactful relationships. Do you hear that? characterized by deep, impactful relationships. It was because of the love they had for one another 
that problems were solved. It was because they cared so deeply, they loved so tangibly, that they refused to see someone in need. What if, what if, just imagine, what if we loved and cared for people so deeply that we refused to see them in need? This is the task of the church. It's not always an easy task, and that's why we're going to talk all month about realistic, tangible ways we can work toward this goal. The most important callings are never easy, but we're called to them just the same, right? The task of the church is to bring good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and to ensure that there is not a needy person in our midst. I believe, church, I believe that the church can make a difference in this world. But we got to come together. We have to be of one mind. We have to commit to this task with our whole hearts. God is calling. Will we answer? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this calling that you have placed on the church. Lord, it is not an easy calling. But sometimes you give us difficult tasks. You entrust us. Lord, you trust us with the task and you send us out because you don't want to do it alone. And so, Lord, we ask with all our hearts today that you would empower us and strengthen us, convict us, challenge us to in the world, to care for the needy, to love people who are in need, to give generously. Lord, I pray that we would dream so big and, Lord, that we would love people so tangibly and we would follow your calling so intensely and we would follow after you with all of our hearts that one day there would not be a needy person among us. Lord, give us hearts to dream, hearts to see it, and then, Lord, would you send us out, empower us to do it. Lord, we can't do it alone. We do it with you and only because of you. Because you have called us to do it with you. Lord, we so need your help. But we are ready and we are willing. And so, Lord, we answer your call. We answer your call. Lord, send us out to do your will to do your task. In the name of Jesus, amen.